Okay, we've been going through this chapter, Luke chapter number 2, for the last couple of weeks. In fact, we've been focusing in on one verse uh, over these last three weeks and now the fourth week. Just like any other night for the shepherds. These lowly shepherds that were here out here in the in the field watching their sheep, taking care of them, and, and uh, just, just doing their duty, doing their job, doing the thing that they're supposed to do, just like any other night. But on this normal night, everything was about to be ready to be upended. The extraordinary was about to take place. In Luke chapter number 2, verse number 9, the Bible tells us, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I love reading the Bible and and seeing what some of the things say and, and really thinking about it. So many times we can read it and we don't really even think about what's being said there. The Bible says there that they were sore afraid. Uh, I, I looked up that word sore. It doesn't mean, uh, in this context, it doesn't mean what you feel after you finish exercising, okay? That's not what, what it's talking about here. The word sore afraid, it gives us this, this interesting picture. It's a Greek word uh, that, that literally means, the, the first two definitions, big and loud, all right? That's, that's what it means, okay? It, it was a big, loud, afraid, all right? You get in the picture here, all right? It wasn't just like, oh, there's an angel, all right? It was like, ah! I mean, they were scared for their lives. I mean, like that was what took place on that night as they looked and the angel appeared. And, and I love the angel looks at him and he says, hey, don't be scared. I mean, like that. I mean, like really? I mean, the understatement of a lifetime. All right, don't, don't be afraid. I mean, these guys are shocked. They're scared out of their minds. I mean, here these guys are. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago. These were the outcasts of society. Maybe even the criminals. I mean, these were the hardened guys. And here they are screaming like little girls. I mean, like that's the picture that we find here. And the angel tells them, hey, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm bringing you good Tidings, and we talked about that. Good tidings. What was that? That's good news. Good news. Over this last month, we've been diving into what that good news was, and that good news is found there in verse number 11. He said this, For unto you we saw the first week. The angel, as he spoke to them, he gave them the wonderful message that yes, this message, it was for all the world, but listen, it was for them. And listen, it's for you and I as well. For unto you is born this day, the Bible tells us, born this day in the city of David. Christ could have come as a middle-aged superhero style man if he wanted to, but instead he came as a baby born into humble circumstances. He grew and faced the the difficulties and the struggles that, that we would face He faced what it felt like to not have money. How many of you have been there during the Christmas season, right? You know, he he knew what this was to to grow up in poverty, to grow up in in a difficult situation, in a difficult circumstances, to face many of the struggles that you and I have faced. He knew because he was born. And then he says this a savior. A savior. 
Last week we spent time talking about this. It's a title that's used only nine times uh, about Christ in the New Testament. Yet it's one of the most important titles that's given to Christ. He is the Savior. But we talked last week, He didn't come to save you from your unfavorable circumstances. How many of you uh, wish that you know maybe things were a little bit different, right? Or, or maybe you thought you'd be a little further along than, than what you were. Uh, maybe you started last year and you thought, you know what, this year is the year that my finances are all going to be sorted out and we're going to be rolling in the dough. And here you come to the end of the year and you're thinking, what happened? You know, I mean, like uh, that, that, the unfavorable circumstances. And you think, well, maybe if I got Jesus, then that would take care of my, 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 my struggles and everything would be great. And he's kind of like that lucky rabbit's foot, right? Kind of a creepy thing. I remember when I was a kid going and, and my parents got me a, a rabbit's fit, foot. And I remember looking at that and thinking, this is this is weird, you know, I mean, like that's, but that's what a lot of people treat Jesus like, he's like the lucky rabbits, but if I just have him, then everything will just be good, but that's not what he came to save them from, he, he didn't come to, to save them from their, their lifestyle that was, that was unfaithful, a lifestyle that was, that was against God and the way that, that he lived. And, and some people, they turn to, to Jesus and they think, well, if I get Jesus, then that'll help me with my addictions. That'll help me with my, 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 my family struggles. That'll help me with all those things. And all those things will, will, will sort out and listen. Well, Jesus can help with those things. That's not what he came for. No, the Bible makes it very clear. He didn't come to save you from unfavorable circumstances or an unfaithful lifestyle. No. Jesus came to save you from your inescapable sin. If you miss this point about Christ, you miss the most important point of the message. Romans chapter number 3, verse number 10 tells us, it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. And chapter number 6, verse number 3 tells us the wage of sin is death. Tomorrow morning, it's Christmas, and, and children everywhere will gather around Christmas trees and Maybe you're one of those weird family that does it on Christmas Eve. I don't know, but you know we'll all we we'll all gather around at some point, and and uh, and there'll be presents right underneath the tree. These packages that are wrapped, and by this point, your kids will have given them a already given them a good shake. You know they've they've snuck underneath there and they've pulled back the tape a little bit or tore a little hole in the corner. Uh, today, even I, as I woke up, I walked out and, and I walked into our living room and there was my son Jace lying underneath the tree looking at those presents right there. I don't know what he was doing prior to when I came in there, but there he was. I mean, that, that's what's taken place already. It's, and the day they're anticipating, it's finally will have arrived. And the greatest lie is about to take place told Tressa this last night. You see, under the tree, there's these packages that we call gifts. But what have we been taught by every children's song and every children's book? You only get the gift if you've been good, right? It's all based upon the works that they have done throughout the year, right? If you're on the nice list and not the naughty list. And so we asked our kids, hey, have you been good this year? In fact, this morning, James walked in and, and uh, I looked at Jameson. I said, Jameson, are you getting any presents this year? Have you been good? And he said, no. And so he's not getting anything. <laughs> Why? Because if you've been naughty, you don't get your gift, right? You don't get the present. You get a lump of coal. So I submit this morning that 
it, to, not, to stop being a liar, all right, and stop lying to our children, that we change the name of the packages underneath the tree to bargaining chips, okay? That's what we need to decide this morning, and that'll help us to avoid confusion, and therefore we can move forward telling the truth to our children. The Bible makes clear that God wants you to receive the gift of God, that's eternal life, through Jesus Christ. That gift isn't based upon being on a nice or naughty list. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9, By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Titus chapter number 3, verse number 5, he says it this way, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing and regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And in Romans chapter number 4, verse number 4, God makes things clear. He says, Now to him that worketh is the reward, salvation. It's not reckoned of grace, but of debt. See, God had the same idea that I did, alright? He said we should change the name if you have to work for it. But he didn't call it a bargaining chip, he called it debt. See, if you have to work to gain eternal life, if you have to work and there's something that you have to do to gain heaven, then that means God owes you by what you've done. you get that? That's what a debt is, when somebody owes someone. Friend, can I tell you this morning, God doesn't owe you or I anything. No, Paul goes on to clarify things in verse number 5. He says, but to him that worketh not, not by works, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Who can justify the ungodly? Who can make Sinners like me and like you, righteous? Well, there's only one. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, that God, He commendeth, He demonstrated His love toward us, in that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ gave the greatest gift, and He died in your place and in mine. See, back over in that verse in chapter number 6, verse 23 of Romans, the wage of sin is death, and Jesus died, so He fulfilled the payment so that we could have the gift of God, that's eternal life, through what He did, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died in your place so that you can receive, not achieve or earn eternal life. He died on the cross so that that He could save you from your sins and be your Savior. But here's the question today. Why would God accept Jesus' death as our payment? Why is His death different than any others? Why was Jesus dying for me any different than someone else dying for me? The answer is found in the last part of that verse, number 11. And it's where we're going to finish up our Christmas series today. The Bible says there in Luke chapter number 2, verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Since the Garden of Eden, Scripture has been pointed to the day that Messiah would come. 
All the way back in Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, after they had fallen, the Bible tells us in verse number 15 that, that God speaks to, to Mary and He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. What is He saying here? He's pointing, He says, Listen, there is coming a woman. That's the only time that the Bible says, there's, there's two times in the Scripture when the Bible refers to her seed. Because God, Jesus wasn't tainted by the seed of man. Mary was a virgin that conceived of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. In the Old Testament, we find a name over and over and over again that describes Jehovah. And that word is the word Yahweh. Yahweh. Hebrew doesn't use vowels like our English language. So the name Yahweh was written in the Old Testament with four capital consonants. Y-H-W-H. All capitals. So when they translated it into English for us, they put it into a language that we could understand with four capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord. Lord. Those letters, L-O-R-D, were found 700 or 7,256 times in the Old Testament alone. I sat down and counted every one of them. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that, alright? I'm thankful for technology. 7,256 times, but here in Luke chapter number 2, verse number 11, is the very first time in the life of Jesus Christ, after His birth, that he was given this title, Christ the Lord. See, Jesus isn't a God amongst other gods. He was not a prophet or a good person. No, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Back in Jeremiah chapter number 23, the Bible prophesied of this in verse number 5. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, capital B, that's speaking of Jesus, and a king shall reign and prosper, shall execute justice, judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, Israel shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, our righteousness. In Isaiah chapter number 7, the Bible gives us the prophecy of this coming day. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. In chapter number 9 of verse number 6 of Isaiah, it says, For unto us, the children sang about it, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, listen, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For thousands of years, the prophesied Messiah was said to be coming. But it was on this night, amidst these lowly shepherds, that for the first time following Christ's birth, Jesus was called Lord. God amongst men. Philippians chapter number 2 verse number 7 tells us that He made Himself of no reputation, that He took upon Him the form of a servant, and He was made in the likeness of man. And while Christ was on this earth and during all the struggles and all the, the, the pains that life comes with, He never once did He vacate His deity, never once did He sin. 
reminded that He remains spotless in Hebrews chapter number 4, verse 15. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points touch, uh, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then one day on that terrible day of Christ's death, when so much seemed to have gone wrong, there was one thing that Pilate got right. Above the criminals that would die and be crucified on a cross, a placard would be placed stating what their sin was, stating what the law was that they had broken. And so on either side of him, there was thief written on top of the men that were hanging beside him. But above Christ, there was a placard that was put and written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew for all to see was this charge. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Yes, Jesus Christ is King of kings, and He is Lord of lords. The spotless, sinless Son of God. The perfect sacrifice. See, the reason that He could die on the cross in your place and mine is because He was not just some other man like you and I. Jesus Christ is God. He's God. Friend, this morning I want us to understand that Jesus Christ paid for your sins. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 2, that He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation isn't a word that we use very often in our daily life. You probably didn't use it this last week, alright? It has the idea of a satisfactory, satisfactory payment. Most of you probably over these last couple of weeks, if not yet, guys, just so you know, Christmas is tomorrow. You should probably do it today, okay? But uh, you probably found yourself in line, in a checkout line, right? And uh, most places, you probably, probably wasn't a person there that you could go and, and help check you out. No, uh, you uh, freely, without getting paid one dime, did it yourself, all right? That's the way that that works now. And so you, you went up there, and what happened? You, you scanned the items, and, and it, just, you know, it just seemed like it just kept going, and the numbers kept ringing more and more. And, and finally, you reached the end of the cart, and, and what happened? There was a final amount that was there. That was the payment that was due. Now, you could have looked at that and said, no thanks. And walked out the door and got arrested, right? You know, yeah, that, is a, that is an option, listen. But it wouldn't have worked, okay? You could have looked at that and said, you know what? I'll do it their way and my way. You know, I'll give part of it, right? Pay a little bit and that'll be good enough. And, and once again... You wouldn't have made it very far out the door before you'd been arrested. No, what did you do? You took out a card, you took out some bills, and what did you do? You put them into that machine and you paid the, the payment that was required. You paid what you were owed to pay. In a very loose sense of the word, I guess we could say, you paid the propitiation for the gifts that you bought, the satisfactory payment. See, the friend, the requirement to enter into heaven, it's, it's very simple. The requirement, the requirement for eternal life, it's very simple. It's just perfection. All right, that's all it takes. And while your girlfriend told you before you were married that you were perfect, you've actually got a lot of flaws. But Jesus Christ had no flaws. He was perfect. He is perfect. And when He died on that cross, He satisfied the payment for your sins and for mine. 
The wage of sin is death, perfect death, so that the gift of God can be eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Jesus Christ can be called Savior because Jesus Christ is Lord. This morning, there's two quick questions as we wrap up. The first question is this. Is Christ the Savior of your soul? Is He your Savior? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you put your full faith and trust in the only one that can pay for your sins? Have you acknowledged that all the good things that you can do to get, doesn't get you one step closer to heaven? The Bible tells us it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You get what he's saying there? Here's how that would work, all right? Some of you have probably heard this before. But listen, if we could get to heaven based upon what you and I could do, you know what would happen? We'd get to heaven one day and we'd say, how'd you get here? <laughs> and I'd say, well, I was a preacher. <laughs> and you'd say, well, that, that's not great. You know, I don't know. I don't know how you got here, you know? And somebody else would say, well, I, I gave a lot of money. And I'd be looking and say, well, I didn't have much money, so good for you. you know? And somebody else would say, well, I got baptized. And somebody else would say, well, I went to church. And somebody else would say, well, listen, I'm better than all of you because I was a good person, right? And we'd go through and we'd go back and forth and we'd say, look at me and look what I did and look at what you did, comparing ourselves amongst ourselves and boasting about what we've done. And you know what it does? It would steal from the glory of Christ. No, 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 he says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. What is it? It's the gift, not the bargaining chip, all right? It's the gift of God. That's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friend, there has to be a point in your life where you come to that moment where you realize that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short of perfection, and that if the requirement to get to heaven is perfection, you ain't going to get there. So you have to rely on somebody else's payment for you. And Jesus Christ satisfied that payment. And He offers to you the gift of eternal life. Well, how do you receive that gift? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter number 10 tells us in verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Two verses later he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we finish up this morning, hope you'll answer that question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Has there ever been a time where you consciously, consciously made that decision to say, I'm going to stop trusting in myself to get myself to heaven? I'm going to stop trusting what I can do to get myself to heaven, and I'm going to put my full trust in what Jesus already did for me. See, here's the difference between religion and Bible. Religion says there's a lot of things you have to do. But what the Bible says is Christ already did it. It's done. All you have to do is accept it. This morning, if you've never done that, I hope you'll make that decision. You don't have to make it over and over and over and over and over again. No, it's a, it's, it's a gift that you receive one time, and you've got it forever. That's the first question, see your Savior. 
But as we wrap up this morning, there are many Christians in this room who have made Jesus the Savior of your soul, and that's wonderful. It's the greatest thing. But I ask this, is He the Lord of your life? See, the angels on that night made a definite proclamation. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of this earth. He is Lord for all of eternity. And one day every person that has ever lived will acknowledge and proclaim that He is Lord. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Bible tells us in verse number 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, Jesus given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. What a wonderful day that will be when everyone in unison will declare, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. But I wonder... While Jesus is unquestionably the Lord of heaven and earth, could it be possible that he isn't the Lord of your life? Phrase that's been uttered countless times in homes, in my home, probably in yours as well over these past few weeks, is the question, what do you want? What do you want? As men, it's the question that we live by every day of our life. Anytime that you've ever went out to eat or you've attempted to, as you're driving in the car, you've looked over at the other side in the passenger seat and you've asked that question, what do you want? And they answer simultaneously together, I don't know. (laughs) And it's this back and forth for all of eternity, all right, that goes on. But here around Christmas time, you've asked your spouse, what do you want? And they've said, I don't know. You know, it's a, no, maybe, maybe, just maybe, they've said, well, I want this new dress, or I, I want this, this, uh, you know, this new toy your kids have said, or this new electronic, or guys, we want the new tool, or, or, or maybe you want the new car, right? And, and uh, you look at your wife and say, you ain't getting that, right? You know, and uh, the, yeah, what, what do you want? Well, for just a moment, if we could push pause on the Christmas music, and if we could, uh, you know, come Rise just enough to stop the blinding from the Christmas lights. And, and we could put the scissors and the tape down from wrapping those bargaining those packages that are underneath the tree. And if we could just be still for a moment and ask God that question. God, what do you want? After all, it's His birth. I think there would be a resounding answer that he would give to us. Very simple. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your Savior. I want to be your Lord. He wants to be the one that's in control so that he can make your life so much greater than you could ever imagine. say, Kyle, do you really believe that? Yeah, because the Bible says it. In Ephesians 3.20, he said, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I love that verse. He says, listen, I can do in your life, not just beyond what you could ask, But the word think there, you know what it has to do? It has the idea of imagine. 
Listen, I can dream up some pretty cool things. <laughs> I could think up some pretty cool uh, ways and pretty cool uh, dreams for my family, for my life. And you know what God says? He says, listen, what I can give you, what I can do in your life is so much greater. So much greater. If you will just let me be Lord, he says, listen, he says, you'll stand back one day and you'll say, wow, I never could have dreamed this. See, if you make Christ Lord, he can make you an even greater mom or dad. He can make you a a better husband, a better wife than you could ever be on your own. When He is Lord, He can heal broken relationships. When He is Lord, He can restore broken lives. God is able to do so much more when we let Him be Lord. This morning, is He Lord of your life? A mom and a son had made their way into the small country store and they picked up a few different things and the boy... Just as his nature, he was, he was kind of rowdy, bouncing all over the place, and doing all kinds of things. And the mom trying to keep him controlled. And, and uh, finally, they, they, she's making her way up to the front, and, and they finished checking out. And as they were getting ready to check out, the, the, the grocer, the man behind the counter, he looked at the little boy, and he said, son, he said, I got this jar of candy. He said, you want to reach your hand in and grab a handful? And the little boy stood there silent. The mom looked at the sudden, like, what? You were just insane three seconds ago. What's, what's going on here? You know, he's offering you candy. Uh, you, did, did you want some candy? And the boy, he, he had nothing until finally that, that grocer, he reached out inside of there and he grabbed that candy and he handed it out and the boy took it from the hand of that man. They walked out the door and the mom looked at the son and said, What, what happened? Why, when he offered you the candy, why didn't you take it? that little boy looked at his mom. He said he waited because that grocer's hand was a lot bigger than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Friend, God's got bigger hands than me and you. And the life He desires for you is so much greater, so much bigger than the one that you could imagine. This morning, will you learn the lessons from this incredible verse? It's a message for you, unto you. He's born this day in the city of David. Oh, he's a Savior, but is he your Savior? And friend, listen, he is Lord, but is he yours? This morning, I hope you will decide to make him your Savior. And I hope you will decide to let him be the Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the Christmas season as we're able to focus our attention back on you where it ought to be. And God, I pray that we would take these things that we've seen in the Scriptures this morning and we'd allow them, Lord, to minister to our hearts and to our lives. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone in this room this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they get that settled today. And God, I pray that if there's some in this room that haven't been living with you as Lord of their life, letting you be in control, I pray, God, they get that settled as well. 
With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we're going to have a time here at the end of the service. We do this every week. We're going to have a time where the music's going to play, and it's an opportunity for you to respond to God in your heart. You say, Kyle, do I have to do something weird, something funny? No, no, no. You can, right where you're seated, you can talk to the Lord. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I encourage you right where you're seated this morning to make that decision?